Let's pray. Fathers, we take this time to be able to gather together, to sing your praises, to tell stories of your goodness, and now to open your word and to hear the, the messages of this Christmas season. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would speak to us, that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Grab your Bibles, smart devices, wherever you find the Word of God. The Gospel of, of Luke, did I say Luke? Luke chapter 1. And believe it or not, first things first, time to settle that age-old question, when is too early to start celebrating Christmas? So if you've got your Bibles, you're opening up to the Gospel of Luke. When you're there, say Amen. If you need just another minute because your phone is slow or you're just having a hard time finding Luke, just say, have mercy. Okay, you guys are about there. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, believe it or not, like I said, I've actually found an indication of when it's okay to start celebrating Christmas. You've got the Gospel of Luke open, chapter 1. We find that the story that happens in Luke chapter 1, it's, we know it as the birth of Jesus, but it's like 80 verses long. So it's not just the birth, or the, the, uh, uh, the appearance of Gabriel to, pro, to foretell the birth of Jesus, but it's also the story of John the Baptist as well. We find that this happened, starting in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that at that point, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to the village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And at that point, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's when Mary gets her message. A few verses later, after she's received the good news, and by the way, uh, I've got a, a story about my kiddos, uh, about how we came to have five kids in the first place, and it's all tied around Luke one thirty-seven, that wonderful promise, for with God, nothing will be impossible. I'll tell you that story another time. But we find that a few verses later, uh, it actually happens in verse 39, it was a few days later that Mary hurried down the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. And she entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. You were blessed because you believed what the, that the Lord would do what he said. So how pregnant at this point is Mary? Not very, right? In fact, if you want to make it simple, we are approximately nine months before the birth of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying, and many of you are well aware, that we know that Christmas is not December 25th. That's just the day that we choose to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, we don't have a, a clear, let's say it's the Lord, that says he was born on December 25th. But if we use that as our rounding point, subtract nine months. You think I'm weird that I'm doing Christmas and singing for joy in August? John the Baptist started singing joy to the world back in March. He couldn't help, but as soon as the good news hit him, and he's still pre-birth, the good news hit him, and he couldn't help, but immediately want to make joy to the world part of everything that he was. So that's the when Christmas can start. 
the gospel continues, like 40 more verses of the gospel of Luke chapter 1, and we hit gospel Luke chapter 2, is the birth of Jesus. They arrive there. There's no room in the inn. You saw it played out, uh, uh, mimed out during our, our children's story today, thanks to our, our friends from, from the school. We still have nine people, or nine people or groups of people who have to respond. Verse 6 of chapter 2. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in cloth, or strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the babe wrapped snugly in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Did you hear? The proclamation of joy from that angel. That this is good news. And it's not just this one angel. Who couldn't help but be filled with joy. And wants to make that part of his message. But then suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. It's not just an angel. But a chorus of angels. Who want to join in song. Of praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven. And peace on earth to those uh, with whom God is well pleased, is how my translation puts it. Anybody else just want to put Christmas into song? I know we often picture preaching as what happens from the pulpit with the spoken word. But do you think those angels preached a sermon through sung word as well? Sure do. Music is a vital part of the worship experience, a great opportunity to proclaim God's goodness. And that's why it's such a vital part of the actual acts of worship that we find portrayed in like the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, for example. It doesn't just have to be spoken and preached to be a sermon. In fact, not only is it... Uh, Something that, that is word, but it can also be something that is done. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. There was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Believe it or not, not every sermon gets preached in a church. Where did they preach their messages? To their neighbors, to their friends, to the community. There are people out there who will never hear the message of the gospel being proclaimed from a pulpit. But they will hear it on a doorstep, at a checkout line. They'll hear it at school. They'll hear it in the hospital, and they won't hear it from one of us professionals. They'll hear it from you. Who are these shepherds, by the way? Are they trained theologians? Far from it. In fact, why does somebody become a shepherd anyway? Think about what a shepherd looked like. Think about what a shepherd smelt like. 
What does it mean to work late hours outside of town with animals? Because that's a better fit for you than hanging out with us. That's one of the things I love about the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is written by an outsider. You may not be aware of this, but Luke was not one of the 12 apostles. In fact, Luke converted much later on. We could probably put his conversions about halfway through the book of Acts. We find that he joins the traveling companions of Paul. Luke is an outsider. And because he has this outsider's mentality, he also has a sensitivity to proclaiming the good news, uh, where the, the good news is proclaimed to and through outsiders as well. So his gospel includes stories of those outsiders, those social outcasts like the shepherds, the young, the old, the poor, the rich, the sick, the men, the women. He's got it all. But he loves to highlight some of these stories of the people who don't quite seem to fit in here on earth. But they stand out because of their allegiance to heaven. The first evangelists of the arriving king, the first human evangelists, were outcasts. Do you ever feel like an outcast? Like you don't belong? Like there's something about you that you just don't quite fit in? The first evangelists of the arrival of Jesus may have been outcasts. Maybe the next ones are too. As we continue, like I said, there are more people. Uh, every time we turn around, there's another person. Famously from a scripture reading, Mary didn't necessarily go out and proclaim the good news. Instead, I love what it says, where it says that she treasured and she pondered these things in her heart. For her, it was just this whole experience of Christmas was something that was just so overwhelming and moving for her that she made this a heart experience. I know emotions can be a scary and dangerous thing. Our heart can be a dangerous and deceptive thing. But we are, by our very nature, emotional creatures. And for Mary, the experience of what she had been through was something that she wanted to grab hold of. Something that she wanted to grab hold of and never let go. How many of you have an emotional connection to this time of year? When you think about Christmas time, you just can't help but get a little sentimental. Guess what? Mary did too. And that's it. Now we're done with the Christmas season, right? From this point, the Gospel of Luke moves forward. Verse 21, eight days later, we've moved on to circumcision, which is a whole different Bible study. <sighs> he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel even before he was conceived. The story is told in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, and we'll go there in a second. But what's interesting to me is to find out that though the Christmas story technically ended, at least from Luke's perspective, that point, the spirit of the season still continued. We found people who were still grasping for the, the reason for the season, which is the hope that the Messiah brings, the, the good tidings and the joy. We find people uh, eagerly experiencing Christmas spirit days later. 
In verse 25, at that time in Jerusalem, there was a man named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. This was a man who was ready for Christmas, though he was a few days late on the calendar. His heart was always ready for the reason for the season. He wasn't alone, by the way. There was a woman we find down in verse 36, Anna, a prophet. She was there in the temple. She was about 84 years old and a widow. You were never too old or too young to be used for the gospel and for God to make an impact on you. And at that point, Jesus continues to grow with wisdom and stature. And at that point, we get set back and say, okay, now the Christmas story is over, right? Well, wait a second. Aren't there, like, other people who showed up? What, what was the deal with that one kid over here with a crown on his head in the, in the play? Who are those guys? Luke didn't mention them at all. Where do they come from? They come from the Gospel of Matthew. So, flip back a couple pages, because we have a few more groups of people to discuss. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew. Let's jump back to chapter 2. Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we pick up once again with the note that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now let's chat for a second about these people. They mention a star. What was the star that they saw? If you're familiar with a book called The Desire of Ages, we find indication that the star that they saw may have been a, a misrepresentation or misunderstanding of what was going on as an angelic chorus shone across the, the brightness of that, that night sky in Bethlehem. These wise men from the east saw the brightness shining of these angels and said... Something's going on over there. And so they decided to study it out. And they find, in the Old Testament of all places, a note that a star will guide them to the king. I, I will uh, mention, by the way, anybody here know Discovery Mountain? Yeah. A few of you know Discovery Mountain? Season 24 comes out in February. It's the story of Balaam, which is where this reference is taken from. And you might recognize the voice of Balaam for season 24, so keep your ears open. <laughs> I know it's not a good sign to say that I get up here and um, the, the, the preacher who preached today gets to play the, the false prophet Balaam, or the, the almost corrupt prophet Balaam. So this is why you always test your preachers against the word of God. <laughs> but one of the things that stands out to me about this story is we often portray the idea of the wise men and the shepherds worshiping together there in the manger. But we have the sense that when you come to the, the story a little bit later on, it mentions that they went to the house and they saw the young child. The phrasing has changed a little bit. It seems as though some time has passed just because it takes some time to go from here to there. As somebody who recently drove from here to Michigan in my car at the speed limit. Pastors would never speed. <laughs> it took me 19 hours to drive. 
Best case scenario, their, their camels were gassed up, loaded, and ready to go. How long do you think it took for them to make the trip? Same day? Same week? Remember, they had to go through a Bible study too. How long do some of our Bible studies take? So they did their studies. They loaded up and they made the trip from the east to Judea. It's not the same day. Time has passed a little bit. But you know what hasn't passed? The spirit of the season. Here we are, weeks, months, some people contend upwards of two years later, based on the fact that King Herod's command was to go and destroy all the children up to two years old. We're talking some significant time has passed. And the wise men didn't step back and say, too late, can't do this. The reason for the season pushed them forward. Unfortunately, it didn't drive everybody. When they arrived there, they found people who couldn't be bothered to, to travel but a few miles in the course of those weeks, months. I mean, like they're basically from the next neighborhood over. When the wise men arrived, these outsiders, they found two groups of people. Well, one individual and one group of people who was there, who didn't have the spirit of the season. What was the guy's name? Herod. Let's give him another name. He's the Grinch. <laughs> Christmas was not for him. He did not like what it stood for. He did not like the implication of what it's going to mean for his life. And he became quite angry and hostile towards the Christmas season. And I'm sure we all know people who react that way as well, don't we? Do you think God gives up on those people? Do you think that God is going to send his spirit to try to make an impact on their lives? In fact, do you think God might surround them with people who can be there to answer questions just in case they're ready to ask those questions? In this particular instance, yes. That's exactly what happened. And oh boy, let's talk about them. Who were the people that were supposed to be able to point Herod to the truth? It was the priests of his court. He had holy men around him. And in fact, when he went to them and he said, hey, these guys are talking about something in the Bible that they heard about. There's a prophecy. Tell me about the prophecy. And they're like, yeah, it's a prophecy. And they were able to answer it basically without any thought whatsoever. I would say these priests, as much as we want to give Herod a hard time for being dangerous to Christmas because of his antagonism, it was the apathy of the priests that was far more dangerous. You want to know why? Because it was the apathy of the holy people that for a long time in my life kept me from being a believer. I was raised in a non-practicing Christian household. Church was something that would occasionally happen, but it was definitely far from an active part of our lives. My mom is not a practicing Catholic, my dad is not practicing Church of Christ. In fact, my dad was raised in a household that was so, uh, so focused on law and judgment that basically he had a point at 12 years old that my dad had said, you know what, I am never going to please God. 
so I'm not even going to try. So my experience with church, admittedly, for the first 20 years of my life, was not very positive. The religious people that I knew in my life, like my dad's parents, did a better job of pushing me away from the church than drawing me in by their words and their examples. The way that they were so condemning and judgment-oriented. The one thing that I never heard about from them was the overwhelming love of God. I don't think I ever heard the word grace come from their lips. I was also had an opportunity, I also had an opportunity to have classmates, neighbors, friends, people who were able to uh, go to church regularly. But it was amazing how often on their way home from church, it's almost like they just forgot everything they just heard. I worked in restaurants for several years. Does anybody know the worst day of the week? If you ask any restaurant employee what the worst day of the week to work in a restaurant is, what day is it? It's Sunday. And I got to experience that. The lying, the stealing, the swearing, the entitledness, the I'm better than you because I just went to church. The spirit that had no sense of the least of these. Or may the first be last and the last be first. One of the things that drove me crazy was the idea that these are the people who just heard a sermon about what Jesus has called us to do and what Jesus has called us to be. And these people heard it and it went in one ear and out the other. Their life was not changed one drop by being in the presence of Jesus. And so for most of my life, I had the idea that simply said, if you don't take Jesus seriously, why should I? And then that all changed. About two weeks after I graduated high school, I met a young lady who took Jesus seriously. She wasn't perfect. She didn't walk on water. She swam in it. In fact, I met her at a pool party. <laughs> I'm a teenage boy. She's a teenage girl. We're at a pool party together. I didn't want to be there because it was actually for my ex-girlfriend. Like that birthday party was for my ex-girlfriend. Did not want to be there. But somebody... Got, had God get a hold of them and compelled me that I needed to be there. And so I show up there. And I notice that the girl who's hosting the party doesn't want to be there either. But she doesn't have a lot of places to hide because it's her house. She's got to be present. She's got to be active in the party. One of the things that after, oh, about an hour, hour and a half of chatting with her because it's like, she's cute. I don't want to be here. She doesn't want to be here. Maybe we could, like, not be here together. I started talking to her. started to get to know her. started to get to know values and morals and, and passions and favorites and least favorites. Uh, I got to know her quite a bit. And eventually hit a point where she discovered that though I was a devout atheist, I had morals. Guess what? It's not an automatic that an atheist is a heathen. 
In fact, many atheists, if you ask them why they're atheists and they think about what God is like and you ask them, what would it take to worship a God? They're just waiting for the God. Like they, they have it in them to say, well, if God was real, then he would be this, 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 this. And they would appeal for justice and fairness and some of the same exact values that the Bible proclaims. They're just waiting for somebody to show it to them. And so this girl got to hear this guy, heathen, who had morals. And she, said, she didn't know any better. She asked me the, the question of all questions. She said, well, what church do you go to? And I said, church? Oh, don't tell me you fall for that. You're too smart. Don't tell me you fall for those fairy tales. And she says, yes, I, I believe in church. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I had never heard of a Seventh-day Adventist in my life. In fact, the, when she said it, I thought she meant Mormon. <laughs> and we got to know each other. And we got to date each other. I took her AOL Instant Messenger screen name, because this was 2002. I actually stayed at that birthday party longer than the birthday girl did. And we got to know each other pretty good over the course of the next couple of months. We had some ups, we had some downs. But we had a real bad down after about six months of dating. And just decided, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. The contrast between believer and non-believer is too great of a gap. She never backed down from her morals. She never backed down from her beliefs and her convictions. In fact, this question of being unequally yoked, this was something that really troubled her on whether or not to proceed in a relationship with me. And her mom said, there is a reason that God has brought him into your life. Proceed with caution, proceed with prayer. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, you're the one that he'll hear the gospel through. She never actively preached at me, though. Could not drag me to church if, if it, like, we never had a, a, hey, it's time for date night. And today's date night is, we're going to open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Let me show you this metal man. We never had that. But there were times where, when it was time to ask the questions, she was ready with the answers. I'd ask her, like, hey, Friday night, let's go see a new movie. She says, I can't. Why can't you? She says, Jesus asked me not to go out on Friday nights. Really? Never heard of that one before. Okay, fine. You take Friday nights off. Fine, I'll just come back to your mom's house. I'll grab a couple pepperoni pizzas on the way. We'll, we'll, like, we'll watch TV at your mom's house and just kind of hang out. She says, well, can't do that. What part of that can't you do? Well, I don't eat pork. Are you American? Of course you eat pork. We all eat pork. And she said, Jesus asked me not to. You show me in your Bible where Jesus asked you not to. Okay. Where'd she go? Leviticus 11. Good job. <laughs> Took me there and I was like, huh. I didn't know that verse. And I'm guessing 98% of Americans don't know that verse. But cool. All right. She was the first person who took Jesus seriously. And it started to bug me. <laughs> Which is why we broke up. I did not know, though, 
that it was after we broke up, after we stopped communicating and dating. Because we had breakups before. We'd break up at the beginning of a phone call, and by the end of the phone call, we're already planning our next date. This was different. We were done. And that's when I found out she decided to fight dirtiest of all. She prayed for me. And I stand before you today as a victim of prayer. She did not pray that we would get back together. In fact, she was done with me. I was weird. Still am. She wanted to see me in the kingdom. So I'd be driving down the road, and I'd see a restaurant. First time I ate there was with her, and this voice in my head would say, you know, first time you ate there was with her. Life with her really wasn't that bad, was it? Nah, voice in my head. Life with her really wasn't that bad. First time I'd hear the song, first time I'd watch that movie or that TV show, life with her really wasn't that bad, was it? It only took about six months of hearing that before I finally said, you know what? <sighs> she was really cute. Life with her really wasn't that bad. She's smart. She's talented. She's cute. Um, <laughs> let me reach out to her because she had just graduated high school and I gave her a call and I said, hey, let me connect with you again. And uh, make it real simple here. We were dating for about three weeks before she realized we were dating again. And once she realized we were dating again, she panicked. And she said, God, I can't do this. I can't deal with Atheist Boy anymore. You change his heart or I'm out of here. That same day, voice in my head hit me with a new one. Never heard it before. Same voice, different text. The voice said, you know, she's important to you. That book is important to her. Why don't you just pick it up and read it? What's the worst that could happen? Oh, if only I knew. <laughs> it was August of 2003. I started reading my Bible. By December of 2004, I was in a baptistry. In fact, tomorrow is my 19th rebirthday. It is not enough to know the truth, to be able to give a Bible study, even on prophecy. The priests in Herod's court could do that. But it did not move them one drop. They had already taken Christmas and put it back in the box. Or dare I say, they never took it out in the first place. This young lady, much like the young lady of old, or the shepherds who came to visit her, or the wise men who came to visit her, or her husband who ends up becoming prominent in the Gospel of Matthew's second half, where Joseph, the faithful man, continues to press forward, is the one who, who I mean, they just press forward with Christmas. The manger is long past. They definitely didn't have trees. They didn't have the bulbs out. But the reason for the season was with them. They cherished it. The words, remember, in Luke chapter 2. She treasured, she pondered these things. She held on to the reason for the season as she moved forward. What is the reason for the season? What is this Christmas spirit that, we, that makes it so just addictive for those crazy people like me who can't just, I got to turn on, uh, I, I got to turn on these, uh, just sing the songs and watch the movies and eat the cookies. 
It's not about the songs or the movies or the cookies. It's about Jesus, the greatest gift that we could ever get. And I just can't help but just fall in love with that all over again and want that in my life as much as possible. And so, yeah, tree went up in November. Tree's probably going to go down shortly after Christmas. But you know what isn't going back in the box? Christmas. The generosity modeled by the wise men, the dedication and faith modeled by Mary, the, the, the outreach, this desire to build up a community like the shepherds, person after person, example after example, they press forward, though the, the Christmas mood may have ended, or the, the, the Christmas days may have ended, the reason for the season pressed forward. My time is up. Sunset approaches. <laughs> But I want to give you an encouragement. Christmas is next week. You're going to open the gifts. And then one day, 1st of January, mid-January, whenever your HOA calls and says, get the lights off the tree or off the roof, the lights are going to come down. The bulbs are going to come down. You're going to stop singing those hymns in the 120s to 140s. And you're going to go back to normal life. But don't go back to normal life. There's something special about the reason for the season. All, everything that Christmas represents. Anybody just enjoy the, the sense of a little bit extra community awareness that we have this time of year? A little bit of extra generosity? Don't put that away in January. Just because a chapter has ended doesn't mean we have to close the book. And I want to say that with an awareness that a time is coming soon where a chapter is ending and an office is going to go into the boxes and a house is going to go into boxes. Don't put away the lessons that you have learned from this godly family. They may be moving out of here. Next Sabbath is their last Sabbath here. Don't put away the lessons that God has worked in and through the Miranda family. They may move on. But I hope and I pray that they never leave. And their impact never leaves this Fort Collins community. So how do you put that into practice? How do you turn every day into a little bit of Christmas? Well, find ways to be generous, thoughtful, community building, family building, intentional about grace, hope, and love. In fact, one of the words that caught me over and over again as I was reading my passages, I hope you heard it, was that word joy. And another thing that makes this season, like the whole reason for the season is special, is grace. I want to know, is there anybody out there who said, you know what? I still might not get into all of the Christmas movies and the, the hats and the lights and everything like that, but I get the reason for the season, and I don't want it to just be a season. I want it to be every day. Is there anybody here who wants to commit to saying, you know what, I want Christmas to run year-round. <laughs> I want grace and joy and goodness and generosity. I want this to be something that doesn't go back in the box on December 26th. Anybody out there say, I want God's spirit to work in and through me as I go forward every day? Amen. Let's pray. 
Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Lord, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. All glory, all majesty, all power, and all authority are his before all time and in the present and in the time beyond. Now bless us, Lord. Amen.